Welcome to Voice Power, the podcast all about bringing the power of voice for your business or personal needs. You will hear how voice increases your positivity and creates amazing opportunities. Your host, Earl Thomas, The Voice, will share his vast experience on today's episode. Thanks for tuning in, subscribing, and writing a review wherever you receive your podcast. Welcome to Voice Power, Season 2, Episode 14. My special guest today is an Emmy-nominated television producer, director, video editor, industry innovator from Atlanta, Georgia. Robert Child, for 15-plus years in New York City, worked creatively in network and cable television as an award-winning director, technical director, producer, and editor. Some of his many awards and achievements are... Best Director, Best Historical Documentary Award at the New York Independent Film Festival 2005. The Lee Whipper Gold Award for Film, Philadelphia International Film Fest 2012. Won Silver Award Pro Max BDA Marketing and Design Awards Director for the warm-up, Turner Sports 2017. Rob's awards are numerous in his experience being an Emmy-nominated creative leader and visual storyteller. He produces original television, video, and streaming productions. His experience is editing both short and long-form projects broadcasted globally. He designed motion graphics and created extensive green screen composites. Robert launched Season 7 of the NBC Network syndicated Dr. Oz medical talk show taped at ABC Network's Westside Studios in Manhattan. Robert hosts his own weekly podcast, Point of the Spear, featuring military authors, filmmakers, and movers and shakers. It is with gratefulness and amazement I welcome my very special guest, Robert Child. Welcome, Rob. How are you doing in Atlanta, Georgia? I'm doing very well, Earl. Nice to see you. Yes, and at Voice Power, I enjoy discovering how our voice creates amazing positivity. And your voice of experience is in the world of television as producer, director, and video editor. Thanks for joining us today here at uh, Voice Power, Rob, and sharing your valuable experience. Let's jump in right away. How did you get started in TV production and becoming so very successful? Well, I actually started in radio. Since your podcast is about voice power, I started in radio. And I thought that was going to be my career. And back in the mid-80s, I, uh, uh, not to go too far back, but <laughs> when I was in college, I, uh, I applied for a, a job out at Arizona State University for, uh, in Phoenix, Tempe area, uh, for a radio job. And... Uh, I was transferring out there from my college in Massachusetts, and when I got there, the job had disappeared because the program director went to another station. So I looked for a, another job, and there was a, a television station at ASU, K-A-E-T in Phoenix, and I said, well, radio, television, what's the difference? So I applied, and they, I, I talked my way into getting a job in television, and that's how I got a job. <laughs> Well, you've been very successful. How do you account for all your success? Just never giving up, I think. I, you know, I, it's a very tough business. I don't recommend it to, uh, to the faint of heart because you have to, do, you have to pay your dues, like in a lot of professions. Um, 
you know, overnight shifts and, and terrible hours and low pay for a while until you get your opportunities, but you will. So I, I just always, you know, stuck it out. Now, what is your most fulfilling TV production? I know I've seen uh, a lot of your accolades on your LinkedIn profile. They're, they're so numerous. I couldn't name them all off. We'd be here a long time. Mm. But what's your most uh, fulfilling TV production? Well, um, I can separate it into categories, I think. I'll separate it into television and into the films I've done uh, independently. One of the most successful shows I've done was Who Wants to Be a Millionaire when it first launched with Regis Philbin way back when, when nobody knew what it was all about and uh, and we were just, you know, on the cutting edge of, of game shows and television, the reemergence of game shows, and they were making millions and millions of dollars per hour on that show in primetime. I was one of the first technical directors of that show. I well remember that show. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I love uh, seeing the, the drama and, and the suspense of whether they're going to get the question right or not. Yeah. How does working in New York compare to working in Atlanta? I've been in Atlanta five years, and uh, New York is where I spent most of my career over 20 years. And New York is, is sort of the, the ultimate in television. It's, it's really not Los Angeles. Los Angeles is more for film, obviously, and theater. But New York is is the epicenter of television, and it's and there's no mistakes. I mean, you have to be uh, at the top of your game. No mistakes are are accepted. Like on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, you could you couldn't make a mistake. Uh, it's just not done. Uh, so the pressure is 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 very very high. Atlanta. I came down here to work for Turner sports and i did a lot of their um, nba stuff and their e-league stuff and ml mlb and it's a little bit more laid back but it's still the pressure of live television my proudest production as an independent producer is a film called uss franklin honor restored which was about a a world war ii aircraft carrier that bombs dropped from a kamikaze and almost sank I'll let people watch that on, uh, it's on Amazon Prime and other places. But based on doing that story, that, that film with the producer Joe Small and, and, the, and the team, the Survivors Association of the USS Franklin itself made, issued a pro- proclamation to myself and Joe Small, the producer, to be honorary crew members of the USS Franklin with all the added to the roster and all the rights and privileges of of a crewman on the USS Franklin. And that was my most amazing honor. I didn't expect it. Incredible to, you know, doing that film. Your responsibilities overall, just an overview as producer, director, and video editor. I guess I'll pick a project to uh, profile. I did a film, at the same time I did the Franklin, I did a film called The Wareth 11 that was nominated for the Emmy. Your responsibility as, my responsibility there as the director, writer, co-executive producer, was sort of being um, the general, <laughs> you know, on the field, the commander, who everyone comes to, and um, you know, we worked in the trenches, literally, you know, in in uh, Europe, different locations. It's a situation where you have to work fast. You have to work on a different number of levels because you have to set up scenes in advance at other locations while you're directing a scene at a particular location. 
so you don't lose time. So you're always juggling your time. And on that film, I had a, a crew of 81 people that came to me from different departments, from wardrobe, from uh, pyrotechnics, from uh, reenactors, who all come to you looking for answers, usually at the same time. <laughs> so <laughs> you have to field you know, their questions and you just have to keep it on an even keel. And uh, that's a lot of it, you know, just keeping your even keel and, and people looking to you for confidence. If you look like you're going to pieces, they'll go to pieces. <laughs> then the stress level must be very high. How did you, how, how did you manage to, you have to manage the stress level within the experience. How did you do that? Well, coming from doing television in New York, I mean, I did major, major concerts, uh, MTV New Year's shows where we had crazy stuff going on in Times Square. Um, and it's just, you almost go into a, a mode where there is no other outcome that you can think of. This is going to be a success. You're going to be calm and people will see that and things fall into place. But you have to make the determination that, that everything, everything is going to turn out fine. As a matter of fact, it's going to be fantastic. So you have to actually see that outcome first and it kind of unfolds. Uh, you can't doubt yourself. That's one of the things I would rec I would say. You can't doubt yourself. Something like, well, I don't know how this is going to go. <laughs> it's like, forget it. You know, you've already shot yourself in the foot. <laughs> so I would say that's one of the major, major aspects of it. That must translate into your personal life because does it make it your personal life easier because you, you, you're doing this during the day and... Uh, in your personal life, you probably got a, l a little more time to uh, deal with. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I guess you could say that. I have four children, which are, you know, have been, uh, you know, um, a demand on my time, uh, but they're older now. But uh, yeah, I would say it carries over, you know, definitely. I don't have much time for BS. I have no time for BS, actually. <laughs> uh, I'm wondering, what were the challenges of and joys of working with Dr. Oz. You did season seven. Yeah, I did. Yep. I launched season seven and um, worked on it through season seven. It was because um, their technical director, unfortunately, had stage four cancer and ended up passing away. A real fine gentleman. And I came in into sort of a difficult situation where Steve the other technical director had done the show for years, years and years. You know, there's a comfort level with the crew and the director of that show, Scott Teitelbaum, and, and the whole bit. And I had to walk in and kind of convince them that, you know, I was supposed to be there and, you know, I'll do a great job. The, the issue was that things had gotten so automatic on the show that there were there were no notes about the show really there were no you know this is the, the effect you use here and this is what happens when dr ox comes out there and this is what th there was nothing i <laughs> i had i had a week you know to figure out with before we launched figure out where things were with the associate director and is this what do you use here is it, so it was like jumping on a train that was moving 95 miles an hour, you know, having to deliver without any mistakes. And um, so it was stressful to get ramped up in the beginning. Um, and it, I think it was 
this was 2015. It was the number one show in syndication. So, you know, you, you just, again, there's no mistakes. I mean, you're out the door if, if, if you may. And it's filmed, at, it's, it's an NBC O&O show, but it was filmed at ABC Studios on the west side in Manhattan. So a lot of network brass around, um, you know, just a lot of, a lot of that. But uh, I did um, work with Dr. Oz a couple times directly. We were upstairs on the, I think the fourth floor and the studio was, you know, a few floors down. And um, he came in a couple times to, he would come in after the show and do a post-mortem, you know, w with the producers in the control room and I would be there and, you know, he'd say, oh, this didn't work well or this worked or, you know, whatever. And he would bring um, the tours through, you know, a couple times and uh, he would, I, he didn't even know me, you know, he, you know, and he says, and this is our technical director, and, and he punches all the buttons, you know, and he didn't know my name, I said, and I introduced myself to his, you know, his tour, and I said, yeah, I'm Rob, and of course, this is Rob, and, you know, and uh, he does a great job for us, and, you know, I just, I'd never met him, so he, he's like a, you know, very, very positive type A personality, I really liked him. I loved working with him because he's just so energetic and inspires. He's kind of the same way off camera that he is, you know, on his show. And I know he's um, election right now in Pennsylvania for a, for a Senate seat. I'm not sure what's going to happen there, but it was a great show to work on. Where does your passion and expertise for military history of films originate from? It was, it's odd because it kind of came on me like a, a lightning bolt uh, about 20 some odd years ago and in college I didn't focus on military history I, I loved history I actually got a history minor but I never focused on military history but a friend invited me to a Civil War reenactment uh, where I was living in Pennsylvania and I'd never been to one so I went to uh, the Civil War reenactment in a park just north of Philadelphia I couldn't believe it there was a battle unfolding all around me <laughs> you know guns and you know, all these reenactors and troops, I'm like looking around, I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> this is crazy. Uh, but gr in a great way, you, you know, a film of this, put together a narrative and uh, use, you know, reenactors to uh, to tell a story. I said, that would be great. And caught the fever to do it. And I, I did a film about Gettysburg shortly thereafter. And I ended up doing three films on Gettysburg, uh, including their 150th anniversary um, film back in 2013, which featured uh, 13,000 reenactors um, in this massive spectacle that uh, I turned into a documentary that's on uh, Amazon Prime. It's called Gettysburg, The Final Measure of Devotion. And um, people are blown away by it because they, you know, there's a lot of Gettysburg Gettysburg documentaries out there, but they turn on this one, and there's so many soldiers <laughs> in the uniform. They go, "Wow, how how big was his budget?" <laughs> you know? But uh, you know, I was filming the reenactment. I had reenactors in Confederate uniform and Union uniform embedded. I had cranes. I had I had cameras on on the ends of muskets. So when they lowered it, you know, like a GoPro on a musket. <laughs> so. 
you know, I, that was sort of the ultimate military history film I did that involved reenactors. And of course, you have a podcast, Point of the Spear podcast. Uh, tell us uh, your passion for that and what's coming up and how much you enjoy it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I started this uh, podcast last year mainly because I had a book coming out, uh, Immortal Valor. And the publisher is great, has turned out to be great. But I had uh, a fear about their marketing reach. I wanted, I wanted to make sure that level of name recognition in the marketplace, uh, so the book would be a success. And I didn't know how much marketing they were going to do. So it started out basically so I could talk to other authors about their books and maybe mention my book. And um, I never really made a hard sell on my book. It turned out that I really enjoyed speaking with other authors and some filmmakers and, and other movers and shakers in military history, and I really enjoy it. And uh, I started out last year, last summer, and uh, no one knew who I was, but you know, I did have the books and films out. And so they, you know, they trusted me to come on the show. And um, now uh, people contact me to uh, to come on the show, which is a nice change. I really enjoy it, and I keep my episodes below 30 minutes because I know people are busy, and uh, you know they could you know listen to two or three episodes instead of you know one long hour and a half episode. You know I, I don't want people to to feel like they miss anything, so I try to keep the show short. Um, but I enjoy it. It's all about military history and authors and stories and filmmakers. I love it. I understand you've written a book and you that book is part of an offer for my listeners? Yes, I have. And as I mentioned, the book had the podcast Promote. Uh, Immortal Valor is the story of the Black Medal of Honor recipients of World War II. You know, people ask me why I wrote the book on, on these Black Medal of Honor recipients. And I, and I had done a previous book called The Lost Eleven about black soldiers in World War II who were massacred during the Battle of the Bulge. And this seemed like the natural outgrowth um, for the next book. And I tell people that, you know, black history, especially World War II, has not been covered. There are a treasure trove of stories out there of bravery, courage, you know, sacrifice that these men have made that has has not seen the light of day. That was another reason why I did it. And I wrote it for a combination of people, the real, you know, World War II aficionados, so I include, you know, regiment numbers and things like that, but also the people who enjoy a good story. I tried to appeal to both, you know, audiences, and it's been a, a great success. I'm very happy with it. Thank you. Rob, for making that offer uh, to my listeners. I got a few more questions. I'm wondering who were the most challenging personalities to work with and who were the easiest to direct in your TV and film production? Good question. <laughs> uh, I'll start with the easiest first. Okay. Uh, the easiest was uh, Ron Maxwell, who's the director of the theatrical films uh, Gettysburg and Gods and Generals. He, uh, he worked... He did my narration for Lincoln and Lee at Antietam, and I've interviewed him several times um, at his home for various projects. And, he, and I met him in Gettysburg several summers ago, and he 
and we were at a picnic and and he he would joke to people that since he's a big director in Hollywood he was he said he'd point to me and he said this is the only guy who's ever directed me <laughs> so, so I thought that was great you know and uh, uh, also Hal Holbrook was a joy to work with he narrated my uh, Silent Wings film he's passed away now but he had five children and I have four that I mentioned and uh, once he found out I had four children when we were doing the session in Hollywood the voiceover session He'd say, okay, Dad, what's next? He started calling me Dad, you know, <laughs> through, through the session. Just a, a lovely man, and uh, I enjoyed that very much. I really haven't encountered too many. I, I really haven't encountered any people I've worked with that have been like a challenge where I say, you know, this is impossible. I just can't, I can't work with this person, you know. But I did kind of tangentially... <laughs> if that's a word, almost work with someone who uh, would have been a challenge to work with. And uh, the story about that is I was, it, when I was working in New York early in my career in the 90s, late 90s, uh, I got called in to do uh, Inside Edition uh, with Bill O'Reilly. And Bill O'Reilly was a um, big personality on Fox, Fox Network in the States. I, people probably know who he is. But we came in to... The, the control room was overlooking the studio through a glass window and you looked down on it. And the facility manager brought me in and said, oh, they're taping the show today. And, you know, you know, you really get to see what happens. And <laughs> we walked over to the, to the to glass uh, window and uh, Bill was having one of his moments where he wasn't happy with uh, something that was going on. And uh, it was very vocal about it. Just like <laughs> it was, it was quite a, a quite a sight to see. And I said, you know what? I, I think I'm gonna pass on this booking. I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I'm. Yeah, I don't think this is right for me. I didn't work that show. It's nothing against him. You know, he's a very, he's a perfectionist, and uh, he just wanted perfection. And I, I came on in on one of his days where he wanted more perfection. If you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I'm wondering what's the most fun aspect of being a producer-director? I would say meeting a lot of interesting people. Next week, I'm working... I'm in the midst right now of writing a commission story on Vietnam, naval helicopter pilots, and combat search and rescue. But I still do my television. And next week, I'm working with Peyton Manning, the former football legend, on a show called... Uh, College Bowl Season 2 here in Atlanta. I'm the technical director on that, and I'll be working with him for a week and a half, Peyton Manning, uh, on this show. He's hosting this game show called College Bowl. I think that's what's fun, you know, different projects where you meet different people. Really interesting. I've enjoyed uh, talking with you, Rob. It's uh, been a wonderful time. Uh, I wondered, is there something you wish that I'd asked you? Any final thoughts? No, no, this has actually been a delight for me because I've got tons of stories. <laughs> uh, maybe we can do it again. Maybe. Yeah, no, I, I enjoy this. I think you covered some really important questions, great questions, and I enjoyed it very much. Okay, well, you have a great day in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks for doing this, Rob. You bet. 
Thanks for tuning into Voice Power and subscribing and writing a review wherever you receive your podcast. Voice Power is the podcast that keeps you informed on how voiceovers improve your business and personal life. Earl Thomas, The Voice, thanks you for joining him today. Have yourself a wonderful day and we look forward to you joining us next time.